Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Sauer. We've got Eric Pikas here of Basketball, Basketball Insiders. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing great. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Uh, wonderful. We're going to talk some lots of different things. Why don't, uh, it's been a while since the latest uh, CBA, F- CBA was signed with the NBA. And, the, uh, and so what, what was different about this one than the one they signed in, I think, I believe 2011? Uh, well, they added on the designated veteran. Uh, salary, so, uh, they'd already added on the previous CBA, the designated rookie, which allowed, uh, someone on a rookie scale contract coming off of their first contract as a first round pick to sign not at, at their max level, but to jump up to the second max level. Mm. Now, in this most recent CBA, they have the ability for those who qualify in that second tier to jump up to the third tier. So Steph Curry is getting paid like he's been in the league for over 10 years when he hasn't. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, guys like Paul George, DeMarcus Cousins, there have been players who have been traded ahead of their eligibility. You can only get that, for the most part, with the same team that you've been on most of your career. Uh, not entirely, but mostly. And in the, in those particular cases, uh, like DeMarcus Cousins, they didn't. I, there were probably other things going on, but perhaps one of the reasons why they moved him was they didn't want to feel obligated to pay him that designated veteran exception if he uh, had... Demanded it. Yeah, he would be probably, he'd be almost good enough where you kind of have to either pay him or don't, and you can't, yeah, you just gotta, you've gotta pay him. They didn't think he was good enough to pay him there. The question, so can only one person do that for over the course of the CBA, which this one goes till what, 2022 or something like that? No, there's limitations to how many you can have on your team at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not entirely restricted. It is restricted in some sense. Uh, there's only so many you can, Sign only so many you can trade for, uh, but they're, they're separate items, the difference between the, the rookie one and the veteran one, it's not like a limitation where if you have a rookie one, you can't have a veteran one. Uh, so there, it, it's, we haven't, it's rare when you would find a team to be lucky enough to be in that position. Yeah. Uh, but if you go back for, for far enough, there were some, there, when the designated rookie scale first came around, the Wolves were hesitant and didn't want to give that to Kevin Love mm. because they wanted to save that to for Ricky Rubio because they could only have one. And ultimately, they that was probably I don't know if, I don't think that was I don't know if either of them deserved it, but let alone I would say that Love deserved it over Rubio, and it how, sort of fractured that relationship. Yeah, how did the uh, the rookie one come about? Who was that for specifically? Kind of. Uh, I just, I, I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's, if it was for a specific, I mean, they've called it the Derrick Rose rule. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what it was called, but, um, really, I mean, that, that's not what it's called in the CBA. That's yeah. more of a colloquial thing. But the idea is teams want to make sure they can keep their, their, their best players, mm-hmm. especially if you're in a market that's maybe smaller. The, the, the argument for something like that is basically it's worked in the rookie cases because we've never seen a rookie turn one down, ever. Mm-hmm. Not ever. It's never happened. And there was some debate back when the Cavs were not very good. Would Kyrie Irving want to stay? Mm-hmm. And my argument at the time was because they can offer him more money than anyone else can by a significant margin. And we're not talking the difference between like a four-year deal and a five-year deal because if you give a player a four-year deal and then they sign later, and sign for that fifth year at a later date, you you need to consider that when you're comparing apples to apples, yeah. right? But in this case, that's it, it, there's an you're getting at the higher tier, so mm-hmm. there's no way to recoup that money anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So Kyrie Irving, like five minutes into free agency uh, that year, would announce that he's extending. So yeah. no one has ever so the idea of it is to make sure that teams are able to keep their players, and it's you extend that further. Uh, the best the, the league wants the every team to have the best chance to keep their biggest stars. Yeah, yeah. certainly seems like they're trying to do that with all these with all these things, trying to make sure that a team like OKC, a small market, can keep can keep Westbrook and pay them the money. It seems like the fifth year isn't working, or it's the fifth year and the the bigger uh, raises seem to be helping in middle league markets. But for the for the Durant and LeBron, the the biggest top five ten names, it's not working because they're so good that they want to do one or two year deals just to keep their flexibility, right? To a degree, yeah. I mean, the we've seen very mixed results uh, on the veteran exception uh, extension, rather, and and 
I, I, if we polled 30 teams, you'd probably get some degree of 30 opinions. Maybe you'd get, maybe there, even if there were just 15, I mean, uh, there'd be some commonality in the opinions, but some small markets feel like they're obligated to pay a higher percentage of cap to keep a player than they probably should, and that's harder to do, and, and you're basically being punished. Uh, in a way for drafting well and developing well. Now you have to pay a higher price to keep your talent. Uh, and when you're in a smaller market, the income is harder to come by. Uh, if you can't sell seasons, uh, rather like TV deals like the Lakers can, mm-hmm. it can be harder, uh, to raise that kind of money. And, uh, you have to worry about the tax. I mean, there's a lot of other rules that have gone in, uh, in, in this last CBA, but I think that was, that was the big one. And the consequences are, you know, the results are never quite exactly what you expected. More often than not, players have who were eligible. Kawhi might have uh, might have been. He he's on another team. Like uh, Paul George, I, I think there's probably four or five, six cases where the player didn't get that, and much fewer cases where they did. Yeah, it just seems those championship windows are smaller because there's so much, like 30% of the cap to a to one player. Making it so hard to keep all well, yeah, of the good players to, to compete. Well, in the veteran one, it's thirty-five percent. So the the rookie one, the rookie one, you're instead of getting twenty-five percent, you're getting thirty. With the veteran one, you're getting thirty-five instead of thirty. And I mean, it, it's it's not prohibitive. It's definitely it's it's you're more likely to keep your guy. And but you know, you make a point that. Um, Players, by and large, even Paul George didn't take the longest deal he could take. Mm-hmm. All stars know that they can get uh, more money later, and, and and a lot of times players want to try to time their money so that they can get to the next level. So if they're at eight years, they may not want to sign a five-year deal. They may want to sign a two-year deal so that when they get to ten years, then they sign a new deal at the higher rate, and yeah. then at that point sign five years. So. Well, to, to kind of explain for the listeners, so as as it's in the CBA, it's by tiers in terms of these raises. Can you explain that to the people? Well, sure. It's it, there's three tiers for for max salaries, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in a rookie to six years of service, means you've been in the league six years, uh, you're entitled to 25 percent of the cap in a max salary. That's in the first year. You could sign for five years, so it's it's a bigger contract. You can sign for eight percent raises. If you're signing with another team, the most they can sign you for, same starting salary, 25% of the cap, but they can only sign you for four years and at 5% raises. Now, uh, four or five years may not necessarily matter because you're gonna, they're, they're gonna sign, these are, these are good young players, they're gonna sign another deal later. So I don't think that's the prohibitive part. And the raises, 5% to 8% are not a huge amount of money. There are times where going to play in a city with no tax, state tax, mm-hmm. may offset the difference. So if you, uh, go to, or you know, Florida, uh, was it Tennessee, Memphis, uh, Texas, Texas, yeah. Right, there are they have certain advantages. So that three, that five to eight percent may not be the reason. But if you can jump instead of being twenty five percent to a thirty percent starting point, now you get a much bigger contract. And then that next tier is from seven years to nine years. So there's only a brief window that we're talking about with this designated veteran extension. Once someone gets up to 10 years of service, now they're at 35% of mm-hmm. the cap. So then there is no more designated anything. It's just you're at that highest level. And the raises are the same as any of the other classes. It's 8% or 5%, five years or four years, depending on whether you're staying with the same team or going. Mm-hmm. And uh, players are very cognizant, especially the, the veterans who are in that seven to nine range. If if you're a seven year, eight year veteran, you may not want to sign five years. You may want to sign yeah. and we see that quite a bit. Paul George, I know that DeAndre Jordan, a number of players have chosen smaller deals so that they can get to that ten year mark and get bigger contracts. Yeah, didn't um also the, in this new CBA have a the Chris Paul thirty six plus uh deal or a little in, insertion? Right. They changed that to thirty eight. Mm-hmm. Uh the the idea is um like Ginobili last year got what he got with the idea being that he would retire after the season, and so he's getting an extra $2.5 million for last year. And Tim Duncan's still getting paid technically. So that's kind of a way to sort of save money and defer the money over a period of time. So the league realizes to a degree there's, they can't stop that. But what they're doing is to make sure it's not like egregious 
where you're not giving someone like Chris Paul like an extra $40 million at the end of his contract so that he can retire and you pay him $40 million, stretch that out over uh, three years. But still, it, it's it's a way of overpaying. So they just have a, a limit once you reach a certain age that there's no incentive. It, it, the math becomes fuzzy, and there's no real reason to do that anymore. To, they, they basically basically closed that loophole. Okay. Uh, and we saw that Nene last year, the Rockets mm-hmm. tried to sign him to a four-year deal, and the the rule they they ran into that problem, so they had to renegotiate and come down to a three-year deal. So it, it's it, Chris Paul and, and LeBron. I, they were they are uh, top union executives on the player side, so they fought for that because they're of age. But in most cases, by the time you're that age, you're not really worth that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in the case of Chris Paul, you could certainly argue it, and certainly LeBron at this point uh, is definitely worth whatever you pay him. Yeah, pretty much. He's always going to be permanently underpaid. Um, I guess we're going to I'm going to skip one of the questions to one other one I had. Um, can you I mean, so cap smoothing was something that didn't happen? Can you explain to the people I've, I've explained it on the podcast in in less technical terms of how this CBA kind of helped make the Warriors the dynasty they are? I'm not sure if the CBA is what made that happen as much as the situation of the t- the TV money that came in. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, and this was actually pre-CBA because the, the the Durant thing happened in 2016. The CBA didn't kick in until 2017. So okay. uh, what happened at the time was uh, the TV deal was much larger than some had anticipated, and the league saw this coming to a degree. Uh, but I think it was even higher than they expected ultimately. But they the the salary cap is based on how much money comes in, right? So the more money comes in, the more the players get, and so the cap goes up so that they can get more money. And what the league wanted to do was to sort of uh, hedge that money coming in so that it wasn't only going in that one year where the cap jumped $28 million or whatever it was. And the idea, the idea being uh, there's – let's say there's 450 players in the league. There were probably maybe 25% of them. Let, let's say 400 to go with a nice even number. Let's say 25% were free agents. That means only 100% were free, 100, 100 players were free agents. Mm-hmm. So there was this gigantic cap jump and all this money to spend, but there were only 100 players to spend on mm-hmm. because you couldn't spend that money on guys already under contract, although there were loopholes like some players were able to get their contracts restructured mm-hmm. upwards. Uh, so that's not entirely true, but by and large that was true. Mm-hmm. And so of those 100 players, you've got your Mahimis and your Biombos and your Dang and Mozgov, right, all kinds of players who, because after you get past the first three or four players, maybe eight players, they're not at that, they're not worth that much money, mm-hmm. but there was all this money to go around, and teams are required to spend 90% of the salary cap. Before, so yeah. right now the solution, in retrospect, and at the time I was sort of uh, not listened to by certain, you know, Mm-hmm. Not that they didn't ask a lot of these GMs, but the the deal that Jeff Green signed was a great deal. It was like a one-year, $15 million deal. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, of course, the Magic also shelled out to Biombo and to Fournier and to other players. Um, but last year, the Sixers had extra cap room. They went and spent it on J.J. Redick. This year, mm-hmm. they used it to take on Wilson Chandler in trade and mm-hmm. other players like that. And that's That's more of what should happen rather than give guys who don't deserve four-year deals four-year deals. I mean, and, that's what the Suns did this year with Ariza. Right. And, and and next year, there's a lot of money in this league, in the league because if you think about it, 2016 is when teams overspent. Mm-hmm. Those contracts signed were either three- or four-year deals. Some were five, but by and large, four-year deals. Some of them have opt-outs. So a lot of players are coming up this next summer, 2019. And then if not then, they're coming at 2020. So over this next summer... And the summer after, there's going to be a lot of money available, and we'll see if teams have learned their lesson from it. But you started the, the, the question talking about cap smoothing. Mm-hmm. What the league wanted to do, recognizing that all the money was going to go to about 100 players and 300 players weren't going to really be rewarded, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the short term, for this jump. And they wanted to artificially lower the cap and then cut a check to the union and say, here's the shortfall. Here's the amount of money that it should have been. 
but it wasn't. So now you take that money and you do whatever you want with it. So then it's up to the union to distribute it. So then it could have gone to all 450 players or whatever that number is, 400 or whatever. Yeah. It didn't happen. And uh, I know Michelle Roberts has made some arguments against. I haven't found any of her arguments that she's made, which I don't think she's gone into great detail on publicly other than somewhat grand statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't find them to be uh, sound reasoning. At the same time, I gotta say, I, you know, I admire what she's done. Uh, I think that the union is a much stronger force than it was, uh, before Michelle. And so, by and large, I think, you know, they, they were able to negotiate a deal without, uh, a lockout. And, and I I went and was able to tour the, the the players union in, in in New York. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. facility. They've got a great court there. It's, it's, they've got, uh, they've, they've done a lot of good. Michelle's done a lot of good. I feel like this is her biggest, uh, failure to date, which mm. no one does a perfect job. Yeah. Uh, I I would like to see if let's say gambling legalized gambling, if that raises the salary cap significantly. I don't know if it will or won't, but if it did, I would love to see the concept uh, renewed, the con- or at least re-reviewed the the concept of cap smoothing because yeah. the Warriors were able to pay for Kevin Durant because the cap rose so high, mm-hmm. higher than it should have. And it just so it happened that a team with all these all-stars and all this money invested still had a ton of money because everyone had a ton of money. Yeah. And that's not really what they intend at the league level. Yeah, the timing was just really good for them. As, along, as, as I say when I talk about it with other people is that also the, 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 the timing of Curry's uh, contract and the fact that he it just worked out pretty well. Um, there, there was a lot of luck involved with what happened, luck. but yeah. the Warriors made their own luck as well. So props oh, to them for it. And developing their players. So I, kind of, I guess you kind of explained it, but why was this uh, CBA smoother to negotiate than the other ones? I guess Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver, but can you expound upon that? So what, what do you want me to expand upon? Why was this one so much smoother to negotiate than the 2011 one? Uh, well, a lot of reasons. For one, uh, uh, they, the, there was a lot of money. There's just a lot of money in the system. So uh, why why did it make sense for the players not to get paid? Why did it make sense for the owners not to get paid when there's this TV deal paying that much money? It's really at a core, at a, you know, that's the core answer. Like there's, mm-hmm. we could talk about a hundred issues that were discussed. We could yeah. talk about so many issues that are hotly contested from age limits to mm-hmm. everything to the 36 to 38 rule to the, yeah, percent of raise. None of it really matters. What really matters most is that the league was very healthy, and they had no reason. Now, if you go back to the previous lockout, it, it was not the case because, uh, for instance, the Lakers' TV deal was a, a huge amount of money, and it threw the system out of whack so much that it raised the cap enough that teams like the Bucks, who didn't could not near the kind of money in the TV deal that the Lakers could locally were forced to pay more money because the cap rose because of the Lakers. The Bucks were then required to pay at least 90%, and now they're paying out more than they functionally can bring in. Now they're in the red. That the, how do you fix that? And you could say, well, teams their, the values of the teams appreciate, so they can afford to lose money, but how many businesses can lose millions and millions of dollars every year it, it's just not a reasonable way to operate. So, and even if they're putting out ninety percent of the of the of the cap, they're not fielding a competitive team to really right, right. You, if you're, in playoff right, you're too. you're in the red, working at the bare bare bones minimum. And if you actually want to compete, you've got to near the tax or maybe go into the mm-hmm. tax. So they fixed the system in in a big way by shifting a major amount of the income that went to the players. It was close to fifty eight in that range. 5078 they dropped it down to about 5051 50, right, yeah. right it's it's in, it's a band but basically if you want to call it 5050 it's roughly 5050 it can get up to near 51 it never quite gets to 51 uh but it, if it's 5050 now i mean that that's arguably fair mm-hmm. uh the amount of work and effort that goes into operating a team is tremendous and it comes with great expense mm-hmm. uh and a certain amount of liability and the players make a ton of money at 50%. And I, they probably gave up too much at that time, but they also made for a much healthier system. And by it being a healthier system, now the values of the teams, like Steve Ballmer's paying $2 billion, that's not a bad thing for the players. And 
the TV deal is in a good place. The league itself right now, because of the players giving up as much as they did, made it healthier, it's easier to negotiate, so when the next CBA came around, it was easier to work out because the teams are mostly operating in the black. They're they're either profitable or breaking even, and if they're not, and if they're losing money, it's because of A, incompetence, or B, because a team like the Cavaliers, it's worth it to run at a slight loss or small loss for a number of years while you're competing for championships with LeBron James. Exactly. Um, so, actually, let's talk about repeater tax, because I think some of them are in the tax and they're starting to be in the repeater tax soon. It's going to affect kind of how people can compete. Um, so who are those, like, I think the Celtics are going to be there soon, at least, uh, the Thunder, I believe. The Thunder in, are in the tax right now, and I have this, I have a list right here. Oh. Uh, the Thunder are definitely in the tax, the repeater tax. The, um... The other teams are, it's not that many. Uh, the Cavaliers are. They'll get out and of the, now. And the Warriors are. Yeah. Or okay. rather, they will be. Uh, it's three of the last four seasons, right? Yeah, so that's, you, that's right, yeah. Right, so we're in the nineteen twenty season. So assuming the Warriors stay over the tax, which they will, uh, so they're not in the, ta- the repeater yet, but they will be because uh, they were in the tax 17-18, and eighteen, nineteen, and now we're in the. I think we're in the eighteen, nineteen season coming up. Here. Oh, are we? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. My bad. One, we're, two. Let me. Yeah, I guess I'm, ahead. I'm, I, I, I'm. My list is projecting one, yeah. two, three. Yeah, no, they were in. They were over the tax in fifteen, sixteen. That's why. So they are in the repeater tax. So fifteen, sixteen, yes. No, sixteen, seventeen, yes. Seventeen, eighteen, yes. Eighteen, nineteen. So therefore, three of the last four seasons, so the Warriors are in the tax. The Cavs were 15-16 through 17-18, and uh, they are not in the tax right now, but because they they would be a repeater if they get into the tax. Thunder, same thing. They have been they were out of the tax in 16-17, uh, but they were 15-16. The Clippers were a repeater in 16-17 because mm-hmm. they were in the tax 13-14 to 16-17, but they were not in the tax last year. Uh, they are not in the tax this year, so they're, they're cleaning up their books. Yeah, yeah the but there are a lot of teams right now, like right now, there are teams in the tax, but in a week, a few weeks, when they start to cut down their rosters, yeah. uh, I think it'll shrink. But right now, I have the Warriors, Celtics, Thunder, Wizards, Nuggets, Rockets, Grizzlies, Heat, Blazers, and Raptors all over the tax line right now. I would not expect the Grizzlies to finish the season over the tax, yeah. uh, but that's about a third of the league, not mm-hmm. quite. Yeah, that is exactly, that's 10, so that's a third of the league. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like, some teams should be over the tax. Like, like the Celtics are going to be in the repeater tax for a while because they have so many good players they're going to have to pay in the next coming years. The Wizards probably shouldn't be over the, in the repeater tax. Well, but the, the, they're going to keep the team yeah. there, probably. Well, the Celtics are just – they were in the t- – this will be the first year that they're in the tax. Yeah. So they're not – Going forward, yeah. So they need to have – they need to be over the tax not just next year, but the year after that, three of the last four seasons. So they're not in the tax for – for some time, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, there's there's luxury tax and there's repeater luxury tax. Right, right. If you're, there's a threshold, uh, and then there's above that. So, the basically, as long as you're under the tax itself, you're clear. But once you hit that, you have to pay an additional dollar-for-dollar dollar tax. So, mm-hmm. if you're over by $20 million, you have to pay $20 million. It's actually, the repeater tax is not terrible. It's really the progressive tax that, mm-hmm. that gets you. I mean, it... That raises up very, very quickly. So if you're paying, say, if you're five million over, you could very quickly jump to, or let's say you're ten million over, you could very easily be at like forty million in tax or something like that. I mean, that's why the Cavaliers. That's why the Cavaliers could barely sign anybody, and that's why Thunder wanted to get rid of Carmelo. Yeah, once uh, the the first reaction I had, I was I was doing NBA TV on. Uh, on the first day for agency when Paul George announced, mm-hmm. and my immediate on-air reaction was is that Carmelo Anthony is not going to be on this team much longer. They're yeah. not going to start the season. They're going to figure out before the season even starts. Either they stretch his salary or they trade him. Uh, and I really thought they would stretch him. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, it's, it's, it becomes like 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million very quickly. So, yeah, it, it, it was untenable. And in the Singler, and they stretched him as well. It was very clear that they had to make I, I'm impressed at the amount they're spending, but it's nowhere near the amount that it could have been had they not made these moves. It, could, it would have been 350, maybe more million dollars in salary. Exactly. Let's get a little more specific here in terms of some stuff. Um, let's talk about Devin Booker's extension. Um, were you 
was it bad that it happened this year versus the next year in terms of the cap? Because people are saying, okay, on one hand, you could you give it to him now, you keep him happy or whatever, and then next year, but you could save some money because I mean he's only being paid three million this year, but it's going to jump up to uh, looks like uh, where to go. Jump well, we don't know for sure. We don't. We won't know the exact figure, but it projects to be twenty-seven oh, yes. and a quarter. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we won't know until next July. We're really June thirtieth. We'll know uh, at some point that day. Yeah. yeah uh, but the reality is, is that there's there are two philosophies. There's probably more than two, but we'll simplify it. Mm-hmm. One is, is that you should milk every opportunity and ma- maximize every opportunity so that you can build the best team on paper, period. So if you hold off and don't pay Devin Booker and you say, you know, we're going to take care of you, don't worry. Even if you get hurt, whatever, we'll take care of you. And so, I mean, there's a certain amount of that that's illegal, but let's say you say that. There's still, he has the assurance now of this contract and he's going to live a happier life right now, this next year, because he's locked in. He's paid. He's all in. He knows the team's all in. He's going to give it his all. And, you know, every so often you find someone who doesn't care about being successful and only wants to get paid, and then they quit and just play out their contract and go away. That's rare, though. <laughs> no, I don't think that's them. So uh, from that philosophy of maximizing every dollar, no, the Suns did not do that. That, But I don't, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's bad. It's just what they chose. Now, if you go to the other philosophy, which is what they did, is, is you want to make sure that you – Build a, a a team on good faith and do everything you can to make this team healthy, but not just run by the numbers. Run the numbers as best you can, but also treat human beings like human beings and not like assets. Which is what they and, had a problem doing with the last half decade. Right, and and so to to give Devin Booker, there there's I I don't know what happened with Kawhi uh, entirely. I have some insight. Maybe as much as anyone else, maybe more, maybe less, I don't know. But from what I understand, part of they, – they made him wait <clears throat> to sign his 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 new deal, and so he had to go through a year without that. And I believe that was probably, at, to a degree, the start of whatever the schism was that led to his departure. So uh, you may wait with Devin Booker, and maybe he's not happy, and maybe it ultimately leads to something else, and you say, well – you can blame him for not being mature. You can, it doesn't matter. These are young adults, right? Even older, old, even older adults make stupid decisions, make emotional decisions. But now you're talking about people who are in their low 20s who have their first chance to make, I mean, they're already making significant money, but really significant money. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Generational money. Right, right. Like, yeah, like a rookie-scale contract, as great as it is, even, DeAndre Ayton's going to be, he may, maybe he's getting generational money because his first pick is, is yeah. pretty close to it, but looks like yeah. right. But uh, most picks they're getting really good money, but it's that second contract. Really, you you have to get a few contracts. You have to get deep into the league, spend five, six years, seven years, eight years, get some real money. That is like that's going to not just take care of you, but <laughs> you know your grandkids and all yeah. that. So uh, I I don't fault the Suns for doing it. I admire teams when they take care of of their business as long as they have other plans. And and also, the Suns have a lot of money. They have some spending power. How much do you need? Are are, are they a, a destination where, like, they can confidently say they're going to get, like, Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard to come, and they need to make sure they have max room for both to join Devin Booker? If there was, if, if they, if there was something that they were so confident of, that required Devin Booker to wait. Yeah, sure, you make him wait and you clue him in like this is what we're working on. But the re- that those things are pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. It, I, I, it's important to understand, uh, I, you know, from the poker analogy, just because there's a possibility of of, a, of getting a hand doesn't mean you should chase it. So if you yeah. get like if you get a, a, a straight draw, and I use this analogy when uh, on my podcast with the. Uh, Josh Martin, Hollywood Hoops, but I do uh, covering the Lakers and the Clippers and other L.A. sports, but we were talking about the Little Deng trade, and, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's a chance that at some point, maybe later, they could have made a trade that needed Little Deng's salary, or maybe there was a, maybe the stretching his money would hurt their books at some point. Yeah. Maybe it was, it's better, but they also saved about $7.5 million, so uh, just because there's a possibility, if you're chasing, like, a, a low straight, yeah, maybe you'll hit it, but basically nine 
nine point something times out of ten, you won't hit it. Yeah. And when you don't hit it, you're left with a very weak hand. Yeah, and that's, would, that's just not worth it. Yeah, I, I tend to say in lots of these kind of things, it's look at for look for the probability, not the possibility of things. Um, and so, I mean, the Suns have had that problem when, I mean, the LaMarcus Aldridge stuff, they get Tyson Chandler and they lose, and then the whole Morris Brothers thing, but they got Tyson Chandler and it's, they're paying him and he's coming off the books now, but that I means that's a, that's going for something. And in one sense, you have to assess the risk and safety of different ways to approach it. Um, so I'm curious what you think. Um, one, do you think from an outside perspective, the Suns are a destination coming up as a, as an upcoming team? Have, have they figured out their perception problems? Or, yeah, I'll start with that. I don't know if they're a destination yet. Um, I don't feel like they're a top destination because, for one, they're not winning, right? They're not at a point where they're winning yet. I do believe that Devin Booker is, is someone who's at least interesting. Uh, we don't know what the young players are yet, so we don't know what Josh Jackson is. We have an idea. We don't know what Drag- Dragon Bender is. We certainly, if you're a fan of the Suns, you certainly hope he's more than what he's been to date. Obviously, Chris is already gone, so he didn't live up to what they had hoped. Uh, DeAndre Ayton could be something very special, uh, but we don't know just what yet. So when you and and then also Bridges is uh, again he's someone who could be a really nice two way player, mm-hmm. um, but not yet. And and yeah. what, what's nice about Phoenix, uh, it's near the West Coast, it's near Vegas, it's locationally it's in a good place. Uh, it's a little hot, <laughs> but I think. You know, I think players are used to, uh, players like Vegas, by and large, there's a lot of players who live in Vegas over the off season, and, and just because there's a lot of NBA activity, summer league, et cetera, in Vegas. So uh, I, I think that as far as a perception that the Suns maybe have made interesting choices and aren't well-managed, there's been some of that through the years. I don't know, by and large, where they are in the NBA community, how agents perceive them or players. Uh, but they're, they've been running in place. They were the worst team in, in basketball last year as far as record, right? So I mean, They were a college team, but yeah. <laughs> right. So so I don't know if they bottomed out completely. It felt like last year might have been the bottom. Yeah. Uh, on paper, if Aiton can really play and if Bridges can play and you add a few veterans and they still have to figure out a point guard situation. But yeah. there's some potential. But, it t- you know, I, I out of Los Angeles, I'm closest covering the Lakers, and they've had – a lot of good young players the last three or four years. And they've had some cap room. But it hasn't been they, – they weren't a destination until they finally got everything exactly where it needed to be. And that took a number of years. I feel like the Suns are probably not quite there yet. Yeah, uh, for sure. I can I agree with some of that. The sun, the, Phoenix is only hot during the summer when people are probably on vacation. But, yeah. Right, exactly. um, I totally get that. Um, so – so I was thinking there was one rumor that Goran Dragic could be re, re uh, traded for, um, and that would cut into next year's money, and people were very against that. But it's like, are the Suns actually a destination where they would get someone better than Goran Dragic to get a point guard spot? So I was like, I'm like, I'm okay with getting Goran Dragic and trading Warren or whatever, whatever you need. Well, to I, I think happen. Dragic could be a free agent target. So if someone's upset that they're wasting their free agent money by, or they're hurting their money by trading for him, he's the kind of guy they probably would go after in free agency anyway. Exactly. Now, so the question is, who else, who else would they be able to get that would fit their roster and fit their, well, their right, line? Well, right, right now there's an obvious one, uh, and it's uh, it, I, there was actually I've been talking about this for a little bit, and there was a rumor, I think Shams Charnia, now the Athletic, yeah. Uh, tweeted about something about this is Patrick Beverly with the Clippers. Yeah. And the, re- the reason that makes sense for both teams, the Clippers have f- four or five point guards. It depends what you think of Ty- Tyrone Wallace, yeah. uh, who's the, uh, uh, he was a two-way player for them. And, and, mm-hmm. and Wallace is actually really, uh, was really good for them last year. Uh, he has, a, they had a really high one-loss percentage when he actually started. Uh, and But he'd be the fifth point guard. Uh, then they've got Teodosic and and uh, Beverly is two vets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a young guy in Jawan Evans. And then they've got a rookie who uh, I think has a chance to be something really good. Uh, was very impressive in Summer League. Had a lot of buzz around him. And that's Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So, yeah. so that's too many point cards. Uh, additionally, they have 16 players because Patrick Beverly is not fully guaranteed. 
and uh, and actually neither is is uh, Tyrone Wallace, who they matched a qualifying offer, actually an offer sheet rather. So I think from the Pelicans. So it, it's one of those things where they have to cut two players no matter what. So they can cut Evans, they can cut someone else cheap, they can cut Wesley Johnson if they need to. They can cut players if if, if they just want to cut them and not give up anything of value. Yeah. So they are on the clock in the sense that they have to cut two players. It would be, be better to trade maybe uh, like a three-for-one type trade and ask the Suns to take on a couple of players that may have guaranteed money that maybe the Suns can either keep or cut, right? Like yeah. uh, it's, it's always easy to – for a team where the Suns are right now, uh, they're over the cap, but not significantly. They're not anywhere near the tax. Take on a few players, and they can be the ones to cut them. Cut a bunch of people, yeah. <laughs> right. That's a that, and there would have to be some level of of reasonable return. And I think the Clippers, of course, would like a first round pick, and the Suns would like to do a second round pick. Mm-hmm, that's what I'm hearing. And that's, but that's, I mean, that's basic logic. Yeah, would you like to give up a first or a second? Well, we'd you rather give up a second. Pick. Exactly. And would you like a first or a second? I would like a first. So yeah. uh, Beverly is a really good defender. He's not a great playmaker. He's not like a true point guard. But he fits the mold of what the Suns are doing this this, I mean, this year and last. They're literally yeah. the Rockets from two years ago. <laughs> I mean, Ariza, Anderson, and Beverly, if you have Beverly, and Booker right. playing the Harden role, and Asian yep. playing and Capella. It, all those it, different. It's, it's, it, the idea is it, it, it goes back to the way of, the Allen Iverson uh, style of basketball where you put in a high-powered scoring guard who can also get you some assists. Uh, Harding can get you a ton. Iverson can get you a lot. And Booker, we don't know uh, if ha- you know how he'd fit into that role, but we could, it'd be certainly interesting to watch. But you surround a player like that with defenders and shooters. Which is what they and, have this year, my goodness. I was watching right. it from last year to what it looks on paper. They have a lot more right. shooting, a lot more defense. Right. So is, is that enough? But they, I, I don't know if it's enough in the West in year one, oh, but it yeah, would be, yeah. it, it, it looks like a fun team to at least experience. But if you bring in Patrick Beverly, you can still do it. You can still run the same concept. Mm-hmm. And Beverly becomes a spot-up shooter slash defender at the point, and you could, just like James Harden, it was the point. Next to Beverly, it's the same idea. So uh, Beverly draws the harder matchup on defense, and Booker gets a, you know, a pass on defense as best as you can and let him just do everything he can to score or create for others. And I think it makes a lot of sense because the Clippers need to cut players anyway. Yeah. I mean, the Clippers, I was having one of my writers write this, that, like they are the most evenly spaced out team I've ever seen. Like their best, like I was talking to Kevin Pelton on this on my podcast, and it's like Lou Williams might be their best player, but their worst player is like not that much worse than him. It, right, it's right. so evenly spaced, and they, they, like, they need, they and need it, high, high caliber players. And well, they're, they're, they've got a really, really, really good average team. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. It's like they they are flat out good, and there's nothing mm-hmm. not good about that roster. Everybody can play. Everyone can help. Now, is it great? No. Is it elite? No. Is it a team that can make the playoffs? Probably not. So, well, you said uh, the playoffs. I think it can make the playoffs, but it can't do anything in the playoffs because the playoff rotation is shortened. Right. Well, it's. I mean, you don't have to shorten your playoff rotation, but the reality is, is that there are probably eight teams. Well, there are eight teams that made the playoffs last year. If two of the teams that didn't make it, being the Nuggets and the Lakers, mm-hmm. advance. And I think they both have a real shot to do yeah, so. I, I would expect both to do so. Two have to drop out. So if the Wolves drop out and say the well, another team, maybe the Pelicans, right? Blazers, I don't know. Blazers, Pelicans, maybe yeah. the Blazers. Now do three teams drop out, and then the Clippers have a shot. So yeah, they have a shot. I don't There's a think default team in case someone bottoms out on accident. Well, someone always gets hurt. You, yeah. you know, if, if you're talking about the Suns, you just hope your team is not the one that, that loses a player. If you're talking about the Clippers, can they make the playoffs, provided they stay healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But the Clippers have depth. They have minutes mm-hmm. issues because you can't play four or five point guards. Yeah. Uh, certainly guys can play together, but they have some shooting guards like Lou Williams and Avery Bradley, so it's not like, if you have four or five point guards and no shooting guards, then yeah, you're fine, right? As long as some of your shoot, your point guards can shoot a little bit and play off the ball a little bit, you can make it work. But when you've got four or five point guards, and you've got, plus they've got the rookie, Jerome Robinson, to try to play, they've just too many guards. And you start going down all the positions, and they're fine. they got players up the 
They've just got too many players. <laughs> so they're going to have to cut someone, two of them, and if you're going to have to cut someone, you might as well trade. And Patrick Beverly, I like the idea of him in, 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 on paper, but is he someone who you're really going to re-sign next year if you're yeah. the Clippers? But, and, then, and then as the Suns play, like, I'd, the Suns are going to be so much better. Like, Booker would be – he's a, he got better defense last year, and he would easily be the worst defender on the team. Sure, but if you've got, if you've got <laughs> Other than Beverly – if you've got – yeah, if you've got Beverly and you've got Ariza and you've got – what Josh Jackson might be able to be and Bridges might be able to be and Aiton might be able to be defensively. And you've got, I guess you've got TJ Warren in there. Bender, Bender's a better, well, Warren's a bad defender. Bender's a good defender, but. Right. Bender is, has good length and he's a good, he's on paper a good shooter, not good as much in reality yet. Um, but he's someone who could, I, but I, I don't know how it's all going to come together. The, the Suns have the potential to be an interesting squad that yeah. is fun to watch. And I think Beverly adds to what they're trying to do. But, um, like, Dragic is, Dragic is solid. He would kind of take you out of that uh, Booker as point guard thing, and it would become more traditional, that's which is it. fine. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It depends on if they want to – I know that they – I know that they want a point guard. I know yeah. they want a bet point guard. Now, that doesn't mean they can't still experiment or even rely heavily on the Booker as Harden thing. But, uh, he has that hand thing that's healing up right now. Right, um, but that should be fine by the end of the season. Do you? Um, what was I going to say? Oh gosh, forgot it. I'm keep going. Let's see here. Um, oh, I had one question in from Twitter. Um, do you think someone asked Booker All NBA team? Any of the All of the NBA teams this year? I didn't think so. I think he's going to make three or four in his career, but at least three or four. But I don't think this year is any of them. There's a there's a lot of talent in the West right now. Yeah. So, but All NBA, it's teams, not. So. I don't think it's a a slight to say he won't make it and to say that doesn't mean he's not deserving of consideration. I just don't think a young, it, the, the big issue is, is win total. If he does what he does and has a great year on a team that wins 30 games, yeah. uh, or if he does what he does on a team that wins 50 games, he's going to, he, the exact same stats, yeah. right? Exactly. He's going to get consideration on that 50 team more than he's going to get on a 30 win team. But what is the sun ceiling? 40 games, 40 wins? For who? For the Suns, 40 wins. Is that their ceiling, maybe 40, 42? Yeah, no. I, like, I don't think it's an average. I, I don't think that's – I don't. I think that's too high. I think that's way too high. Yeah, I, I'd ceiling. probably put – for their ceiling, I'd probably put it at 35. Yeah, that, that's why I have their average. But that's like their ceiling to me. But, like, realistically, like, a, a solid season would be 30 wins. It was better than last year, so what are you going to do? Yeah, um, I mean, it, this is about building something. It's not about winning as much as everybody wants to always win. Every yeah. they they need to figure out who they are and they have to build an identity and then establish. Once you know who you are, how are you going to score offensively? I think that's probably the number one thing. How is your team going to? How are they going to get points? Are you going to be a fast team, slow team, go through the post, go through yeah. three, uh, and then from there. Now that you've figured out who you are offensively, how can you be that and then also be a team that can get stops defensively? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the identity of this team is yet, but I think I see where they're starting to go. And I, I, yeah. I think it's a positive step. Oh, for sure. Um, so how many do you think Booker, like all NBA teams, like average, do you think he could get in his career? I mean, obviously, that, he's so I, young. That's such a weird thing yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say. He, he has the potential, if he could, he, as a scorer, he can be a ridiculous scorer, and and players are rewarded with those kind of accolades by scoring more than almost anything else. Yeah. So because he's such a high, if he can get up to thirty points a game, then he could be someone who's easily on those lists every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it, you just want to see that if he's scoring thirty points a game, the team is not winning thirty wins a game. <laughs> yeah. If they're winning, if he's put on a forty-something win team, a five hundred team, five hundred or better team, averaging thirty points a game. Then, then he could be on there every year, and that's why you have to. That's why you add the veterans to to help get that there as much yep. as you can. Obviously, the veterans that they have right now aren't going to necessarily be there next year. There's more stop gaps for more uh, in prime talent, but they're getting there for sure. Why don't yep. we move to the Lakers a little bit here? I wanted to touch on them for a second. Um, what were your first thoughts when LeBron James got signed? Or yeah, uh, well, I had a certain expectation that it was probably. To a degree, it was going to happen. I didn't, I couldn't, if you asked me outright, was it going to happen? I couldn't say yes, that it was going to happen. But I felt like it was going to happen. I believed it was going to happen. 
Uh, and I don't know if I believe that a year earlier or even half a year earlier, but at some point, uh, from people I've spoken to, from various um, hints and clues, it really felt like this is where you want to go. More, more, more so because I think of what he wanted to, where he wants his kids to be, yeah. uh, and. and I felt like that was going to be the decider. I've moved like two or three times in my life because I wanted to make sure my kids were going to the schools I wanted them to go to. And I felt like that's ultimate. LeBron has more means than I have, but he's still not any different than I am, which is a father who has kids and wants them to be in There's a certain point where they, they become the priority as far as your living situation. So I, I kind of approached it from that perspective. What would I do if I'm, if I'm LeBron as a father? And I felt like this was, the right choice for him. So uh, he agreed, obviously, and here it is. So it's exciting in the sense of, uh, from a media perspective, it'll there's going to be a lot of attention. And I won't be covering a team that's struggling to get to 500, and I'll probably have a chance to go back to the playoffs. I don't know if I'll have a chance to go back to the finals uh, as far as Los Angeles, but at least I'll have that potential. So from a personal standpoint, it's, it's, fun. it's fun to get a, a, a little bit more uh, of an exciting cover, uh, but you know, there's things, there's there's joy in covering a team going through the rebuilding process and and seeing that growth in the starts and spurts and falls, and so I, I do enjoy that process as well. Yeah, for LeBron, it seems like this is definitely, as you mentioned, kind of this is definitely the first time he it was a non-basketball decision, or at least mostly. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see, to see the shift there as he does that. Um, well, do you I, think he wants to play with his son? Is that is that like a thing? I, well, I mean, that's something that he says he wants to do ultimately, and I could see that being his dream for sure. I, I think that the move back to Cleveland, I don't think, was a basketball decision. I think that was mm-hmm. a personal decision about him wanting to bring a championship to where he came from. And I think it was very personal for him why he went back to Cleveland. He didn't go back to the best team. Yeah, he didn't so. go. So I, I, the, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if this was the first time he made it a non-basketball decision. I think the decision here is. He's got a franchise that has a lot of money in a good situation with a lot of good young players that has a lot of flexibility that has the room to sign one more max guy in the next year. So I think from the basketball point of view, there's a lot of potential with the Lakers. It's And then it's also beyond basketball, the right place for his kids. And then beyond that, it's the right place for his career. He's already got all these shows being announced. Yeah. Seems so like the least, uh, least sure, sure situation he's ever had. Um, right, yeah, probably. To a degree, to a degree. I mean, it wasn't so sure in Cleveland. I mean, it, basically, when you have the best player in the league, basketball is one of those sports that is, the best player matters. In football, maybe the best quarterback, maybe the best linebacker. I mean, you could argue these things. It helps, but it's just so, it's so but, much more important. Right. In, in baseball, the best hitter in the game can only get you so far because teams can just pitch around you, right? You can just, you know, like when Barry Bonds was – Barry Bonds at his peak, they would walk, walk him. him every single time. He never got a hit. Right. Anything. So, so even that, and, and even the best pitcher in baseball can only pitch at most one out of every what three or four games on like when you get to yeah, playoff, <laughs> when you get to playoffs uh, or championship, and they're going on like a four day rotation. So even the best pitcher, maybe a best closer, is the closest thing to to like a LeBron. That well, they LeBron can impact the game. 40, 45 minutes a game, and well, you when, to. And when the Dodgers had the best closer in Eric Gagne, right, and they get to the playoffs, and by the time you get to the seventh, eighth inning, they're down like six to two. <laughs> what is it? How does it? What does that do for you when you have the best closer? So, in the, in basketball, the best player makes a difference in, in sure. a much bigger way. Yeah, it's also that kind of that you're talking there. Though it also helps us understand context and what. What a factor! It's more of a theoretical thing, but just the fact that it's it's not usually a straight line. We make these straight line uh, like decisions or or judgments about teams and people and players, and it's usually the context matters more than I think we usually notice. Um, Very true. Yeah, about these about the Lakers here. What do you think about the Rondo Stevenson uh, signings that were and Michael Beasley? As well, they were joined the very tours? they were very quick to make it clear. Uh, by their moves, that they were fully committed to preserving cap room for next year, and mm-hmm. they'll have the trade the the trades they made going back to um, Larry Nance and mm-hmm. uh, Jordan Clarkson, D'Angelo Russell, Moscow, et cetera, and then buying out Dang as they just did makes it even more clear yeah. 
that they are targeting, if it's not Kevin Durant, it's Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard or whoever the best player is who they can possibly get at the most money. There's, there's nobody that they can't sign. They have enough money to sign anybody. Yes. So that's where they want to be. So with that in mind, everybody they were going to sign was going to be on one-year deals outside of, like, the rookies uh, who get longer deals. So mm-hmm. um, you could say, well, could they have gotten a better shooter? Uh, probably the best shooter they might have been able to get on a one-year might have been Wayne Ellington. Yeah, no. uh, is that is that <laughs> is Wayne Ellington better than Rondo? And I would argue that he's a better shooter for sure, but is he a better overall basketball player who can help your team in a lot of different ways. Now, Rondo also has his flaws. Yeah. Uh, but he's also someone who wants to be a coach and is already embracing that role of being a mentor. He's in he's in the video room with Brandon Ingram, with Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, and he's you've got a, a teammate going over f- film, which is a very different thing, and this goes to your point about bringing guys like Ariza, who's a great pro. You, you, just human nature, you're going to learn more from your peer than you are from someone whose job it is to teach you. Yeah. Um, and then Lance is a wild card. That's the guy that, that, uh, LeBron wanted. Times where Lance, Lance, Lance can help you win games. Lance can help you lose games. He's a wild card. Uh, Beasley is a hugely underrated scorer. He's yeah. not a very good defender, but he's actually, uh, someone who I think could end up like the second or third highest scoring average on the team. Oh yeah, I can see that. Uh, and then uh, KCP was is basically the cost of doing business to get LeBron because yeah. he's part of the Clutch family. Of course, yeah. So um, did the Lakers do the best? In, in, did they get like an A for their for their second and third signings? No, I mean they didn't get they didn't get Paul George. They didn't get. Uh, a healthy Boogie Cousins who didn't exist. They didn't yeah. get um, wh- whomever, right? Uh, they're very weak on paper at center. Uh, oh, they're yeah. overloaded. They're overloaded in other positions. They've got too many guards. But um, I like what the Lakers have done. I like that they basically said we can't outshoot the Warriors. Let's go and get a bunch of playmakers who are tough and mm-hmm. and and defend. So KCP can defend. Uh, Lance is physical and can defend. Rondo isn't what he was, uh, but at least has that knowledge and that ability on some level to defend. He can't defend like he could five, ten years ago. Um, and Beasley can't defend, but you need some scoring too. Do you think LeBron's going to go, um, uh, up to power forward or maybe even a center at times? Uh, I would expect him as, as the starting power forward. I wouldn't expect anything else. Uh, as far as I, he's a power forward in this league anyway now, um, I guess he is, yeah. so Ingram is the is the three, KCP is the two. I, they said outright that like every other than LeBron, all starters are TBD. But I would <laughs> yeah. expect I would expect Lonzo, KCP, Brandon Ingram, uh, LeBron, and then at center it's probably just going to be Javale McGee as a placeholder, yeah. uh, and he'll play five to five to seven eight minutes in the first. At the start of each half, yeah. and if he plays any more in a game, he plays more. But he may that may be it for him. Yeah. Uh, it depends on matchup. So yeah, they've got some issues there. But well, Mo uh, is the only other center, right? Uh, well, Mo Wagner, Mo yeah. Wagner is a rookie, but also, and I wrote this for uh, Bleacher Report in uh, in July. They're they're probably going to close games with LeBron at center. Yeah. Uh, at least that's, that's what they would. Defense, yeah. Right, and and so you've got Kyle Kuzma. You got Ingram and you got Lonzo, and then there's a pro- uh, there's a pretty good chance there'll be Josh Hart in that closing lineup mm, yeah. or KCP. So yeah. they've got some maybe non-conventional ways to crack this nut. It may work, and they may not need a center, uh, or they may find that it's too much of a physical toll, and they have to go out and get one. But you can always sign a, a minimum center and, and get it. You can get Zaza or whatever, whoever. <laughs> well, I mean, no, he's on the Pistons, but you can get someone oh, like that. Oh, that's right. I forgot he got yeah. I forgot to sign there. After the right, Warriors. but the, right. The, the idea is they can make something work as long as it doesn't get in the way of their math for next yeah. summer. Mm-hmm. And that's that. they're committed to that. And so if, if there was any ambiguity in the Mitch Kupchak, Jim Buss era, there's no ambiguity in what the Lakers are doing under the Magic Johnson Rob Polinka era. We, yeah. We're very. It's very clear. They're very. Forth, they're, they're as transparent as they can be because you can't be completely transparent. Yeah. 
But there's forthrighters you're going to find so far. They're basically saying, we're going to trade the Williams, and we're going to get the best first out of it, and that's going to happen. And then mm-hmm. they do that. And then they say that, in so many words, that when the time comes that we'll trade Jordan Clarkson and we'll get a, a first back, even though I was laughed at when I told people that's what the Lakers believe. They said the Lakers are delusional. In the end, they traded Jordan Clarkson and got a first back. It cost them Larry Nance, but they made the deal that they said they were going to make. Uh, so I'm not saying they're going to succeed in what they're doing, uh, but they said they were going to go get someone like LeBron, and they did. And I'm not going to bet against Magic Johnson based on his like life's work, but I don't know ultimately if they get their KD or that number two guy, I don't know who that's going to be, but uh, that's probably what I'll be writing on most of the year. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's totally, I mean, that's what this, this next offseason for the Lakers is going to be so interesting. Um, so, yeah, obviously we'll see if they get, who they, who they get, and this whole Jimmy Butler thing, we'll see. Obviously, probably not going to the Lakers, um, but he'll go somewhere and maybe he'll maybe he'll wait till the, till the offseason to do, to make that move. Um, what do you think, the last question here is the, the, we've had a couple, a little bit of time to look at Lonzo, Tolkien, Kuzma, Hart, um, and Ingram. What are you thinking of them and their potential now as we go into the, another year? Uh, well, I mean, starting positionally, like Lonzo, if you look at shooting and prioritize scoring, then you're going to be disappointed in who he is because that's not what he's great at. But if you're a, maybe a, a, someone who has a deeper appreciation for basketball beyond just scoring, then he was actually a really good rookie last year. He was a great rebounder, a great defender, very unexpected at how good he was, yeah, that was on the defensive end. Uh, and then he's a tremendous playmaker uh, in transition. He's not a great half-court point guard yet. We'll see if he ever will be as far as, like, he's not someone who you really can trust to run the pick and roll because he's not a true scoring threat. So someone like Ricky Rubio has, like, a certain level of success, but there's a feeling because he's not much of a scoring threat, although Rubio's gotten better. Mm-hmm. Maybe Lonzo's upside is a a little bit of a better Ricky Rubio, which is not a bad thing, right? Yeah, because, I mean, Ricky, Ricky though, can he he runs pick and roll so much that he he will be able to score on it if he's as a ball handler if he doesn't drop it off. But right. Lonzo has to drop it off, basically. Right, well, because Lonzo can't score on the move, right? Yeah. And, uh, he can get... He can score right at the basket, but even that, his numbers are are low because he exposes the ball too early. There's a lot of flaws in his game. All that said, with all the flaws, if you take away his shooting percentage, he was actually a really good rookie. He was one of the best rookies last year. And, And then you go to Brandon Ingram. Ingram is someone who's maybe the biggest question mark when it comes to the impact that LeBron has mm, on a yeah. young player. I think that Lonzo is going to be just fine with – I think he's going to be a very good fit yeah, with sure. with LeBron because he's not ball dominant, and most point guards are ball dominant, but Lonzo's the opposite of that. But in the case of Ingram, what they did last year is they said, all right, here's the ball, go create, go go get us a basket. Over You're, and over and over again. Right. Drive, drive, and, drive. And, and that's for him. He needed to learn to be more aggressive. He needed to improve his, his – Decision-making skills, which that that time at point guard really helped. Uh, he was able to attack uh, against either isolation or he would be able to, uh, what they'd call over a screen, he'd call over a screen. There, there were different options he had. Uh, those plays at the end of games that went to Ingram are probably going to go to LeBron. And <laughs> so, so, you know, so that could... Uh, you know, curb the development of, of Brandon. But also, I mean, there's an area of this game where he needs he could grow in and spotting up and being a secondary playmaker. So there's a lot of potential there. He could be he could benefit tremendously from playing with LeBron. Or he could be stifled tremendously. Yeah. And that to me is the biggest question mark of the Lakers season going ahead. I, and we could talk bigger picture who's the second star that they get. Ingram has that potential to be that. I he, he has potential to be a very good defender. He's still very young. He's still very slight and built. Yeah, I was, like, so. I was watching him play last year. I'm like, he's gonna get. He gets bumped and like he hits. I mean, he makes Kevin Durant look like he's a bodybuilder. Yeah, but but he took so much more hit. He could take so much more contact last year and finish. Whereas as a rookie, he couldn't do anything. Oh yeah, he was bouncing off everybody the first. Right. Year. Whereas he would take the hit, but his arms are so long that he could still. Mm-hmm. And he's worked specifically on that. How yeah. can you? How can? How can I? Out of position, out of you know, out of control to a degree because of mm-hmm. you know external stimuli, you know players knocking into you. Um, 
how do you square up and still get off the kind of shot that you need to get? So which is what step I, three is good at after all that all that um, core strength. Right, and and we'll have to see if the work that Ingram has put in will pay off. I don't know the answer there, and and that's what's exciting is that just like we talked about the Suns, that you know you you see what they that what could work and where they could be going and the identity they could be forming, but until it actually happens, it's just an idea. So the idea of Ingram could work, it could not work, and that's where I'm going to be keeping my eye on. As far as Kuzma, I think he's going to be a uh, very he's going to benefit because he's a, he's not a primary. A uh, handler, decision maker with the ball. He's a finisher. He's a scorer. Uh, but he also has an array of moves. Uh, he's not just a straight line to the basket scorer. He's someone yeah. who's got. He's got very good footwork. He's got um, a hook shot, and he's aggressive and he wants to score. And so when you put someone with LeBron, you need somebody who could score. And uh, in, uh, Kuzma's three ball is inconsistent. Uh, I think he'll get the kind of looks with LeBron that will raise those percentages. So I, I think. Very little worry there. I think Josh Hart was really, really – he's someone who has great potential as a role player. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's a point guard, but I think he's someone who could help a little bit with the ball handling duties. He's he's someone who could play three because he can guard bigger players. He can even – he actually has a, had a good – had good, uh, you know, like analytics on switches where he's guarding a bigger player. Yeah, he yeah, defended that really that. well. So um, well, I, that's a really nice starting – Core. I don't know where Mo Wagner fits in that, and I think uh, one player to at least mention, Svi Mikhailuk, who is their rookie, has the potential to be their best shooter this year. I don't oh, wow. think it'll happen because he's a rookie, but he's like I've watched him and I just saw him play overseas. He's ridiculous. Like oh, yeah. he, I don't know how well it translates to the NBA because he's young, but on paper and watching him play, like this guy is. I think a steal for them. So I think he's someone. I, it's hard. There's so many guards. He's gonna have to play small forward, and yeah. and uh, we'll see if there's enough minutes in the rotation. So, but they've got um, a lot of nice young players. It's just how do they all fit in with LeBron? To finish up on Kyle Kuzma, I heard from what I, to me at least, I saw from seeing him. I he seemed overrated to me last year in terms of what people thought. Obviously, I know he's a good scorer. What do you think his like comp is to for his potential? Like um, in the league right now, because it feels like he's very interesting to to figure out. Um, I'd have to I'd have to think like a player comp, but um, I mean he I I want to say on some level, if you go back to an older school Laker would be no I don't want to say older school, more of a middle school Laker would be Cedric Zabalos. Okay. Um, now he's actually more skilled I think than Cedric was. Okay. Uh, but what Zabalos was was like a guy who could get you twenty points without any plays called for him because he was just someone who just went out there, hustled, got a lot of rebounds, and and just he was well, a junk man. But I, I think yeah. yeah, I think Kuzma's has more skill than that. Yeah. So um, I think there's some level of his game where he's just really opportunistic and can get a lot of points quickly without plays called for him. I mean, but that's then you, <laughs> yeah. Now the question is, is where does he fit into? The, the mix, and I just think that LeBron, he's going to be the finisher for LeBron, for a lot of LeBron's passes. I and I just that. think that's, that's, he's going to benefit, I think, the most quickly and the most transparently and the most, with the least learning curve, I think, out of all of those young players. I can totally see that. Totally see that. Um, any other final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I just, uh, I, I mean, I know you're, you cover the Suns. I think that they are moving in a positive direction. I like, that I'm starting to see a, a, a foundation formed, built on good athletic defenders, and and I don't know if you know if Booker can carry a team. They still need a second scorer, uh, and I don't know if Ryan Anderson's the answer, <laughs> but, yeah. but they're 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 moving in the right direction. So yeah, Josh Jackson, you know, Josh Jackson as a playmaker is much better than I thought. Um, I like their offseason, and then they went and tr- traded away my two least favorite players. So I was excited about that go. a couple weeks ago. So I cannot like the, other than the playoff teams with Nash and etc. This is gonna be my favorite non not my favorite non playoff <laughs> probably. So I'm excited to get into it. Why don't you uh, plug everything you got going on there, and we'll uh, get out of here. All right. Well, I, I write for Bleacher Report covering the Lakers. Uh, so all season I'll be covering. Uh, then there, along with some NBA coverage, just generally speaking, and then over on Basketball Insiders, that's where I do a lot of my salary cap work. You can look for any of uh, you want to know what someone's getting paid and 
what picks the team owes and all that stuff. I have team pages for every team of Basketball Insiders, full of information. Uh, every so often you'll turn on NBA TV and see me there doing some uh, cap work there. And then uh, weekly I do the Hollywood Hoops podcast with Josh Martin, uh, and we talk about mostly Lakers, some Clippers, mm-hmm. a little bit of UCLA and uh, a few other USC when we have to. We're both Bruins, so... Very good. Go. Definitely check out the salary pages. When I worked with Ed Best Insiders there too, I, and even now I use it all the time. I have, I have it, I'm looking at it right now. And okay. it's so good and he, uh, he does, Eric does such a good job of uh, keeping those Appreciate up. It. Definitely check that out. Um, my Twitter handle, oh, what's your Twitter handle first? It's Eric, E-R-I-C, Pinkus, P-I-N-C-U-S. Very good. Check that out. Go follow him. Um, he's awesome. And my handle is at Eric underscore star, E-R-I-C, uh, underscore S-A-A-R. Um, my website is solarinsights.net, and my, my other websites are elitehoopsdevelopment.com for basketball training and uh, Slingshot Media Consulting for anything for small businesses. So check that out, and thank you for listening, and have a great day. <laughs>